study groups Thursday night alcoholics and God speaker step series we're gonna have our joke real quick hello everyone I am Joseph the jokester your recover alcoholic joke teller um, I have a, a short but sweet joke for everyone all right a rabbi a priest and a Lutheran minister walk into a bar the bartender looks up and say is this some kind of joke hey all right thank you I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is James. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices, unless you're on Zoom, uh, that make noise, that might will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? Let's meditate.
the fog light? God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying may find your love through me. Uh, there is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked John to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Thank you, John. John, I'm an alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in the book, which upon careful reading shows that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism and manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the, impress the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular un unhealings. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations through, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of the experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the different long of the difference long before he is himself he finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alter, alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have come about by himself alone what often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline with few expectations or with with few expectations or members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is essential of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most most emphatically, we wish to say that, an, that any alcoholic capable of honestly face his problems in light of our, of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by attitude of intolerance and belligerent denial. We find that, that no, one need, no one need have difficulty with the spirituality Periodicality of the program, willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. 
the there is a principle which is a bar against all information which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance that principle is contempt to prior to investigation herbert spencer I'll call this. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane slash meeting mode or just turn it off um, unless you're on Zoom. Uh, we have Keith R. Is it R? And Keith N. with us for the next 12 weeks. Uh, big book guy, uh, co-chair with Joe Bear. Rawr, right? Is that it? Did I do that right, Mike? Okay. <laughs> uh, let's, let's hear it for Keith. Hello, my name is Keith, and I am an alcoholic. And um, it's an honor to do this. This isn't my favorite thing, but uh, we were talking outside the meeting tonight, and I have, haven't been here for five years. And I was telling Mike that if we keep it to a five-year interval, I'm good with that. But um, it's, uh, it's an honor to do this. This is my first meeting I've been to since the uh, pandemic started, and I was taught never to say no. So um, this is my experience with the 12 steps for the next 12 weeks. So I don't pretend to be an expert at the big book. I just know that I got with some men armed with the facts about themselves, and they taught me um, a new way of life and how to live that I never would have imagined. And uh, my sobriety date is July 15th, 2003, which was yesterday. And um, during this time of the year, every year I get, I'm grateful all the time, but I get especially grateful. And I just think about, all the things God has done for me in the last 17 years. And I couldn't have said that 17 years ago. Um, I wasn't an atheist, but I was definitely a non-believer and definitely an agnostic. But uh, the power he's shown has just been amazing. And I'm not talking about, you know, the stuff I've gathered as far as um, material or financial. I'm talking about this inner peace that I have today. And, and that wasn't the case 17 years ago. But real quick, before I get into my um, story again, we got 12 weeks. So for you guys who don't know me, I'm going to give you a little background about myself. But real quick, um, and I believe God is the master chess player. Like he, he does things and he moves pieces in, in, a, in a, such a way that there's nothing that happens by accident. So like I said, I hadn't spoken here in five years. And Mike sent me a, um, a text maybe three weeks ago on a Sunday. And uh, he asked me, could I, would I do the steps? And I was like thinking about it, and then I was like, what day is it going to be on? And he said, J J July 16th, which is the day after my anniversary. So I'm like, okay, God, I hear you. So fast forward to um, two days ago, I had uh, tried to renew my license online, and we'll get to that later on down the line with my nice step amends. But I had to go through a lot of hoops to get my license back. And uh, so I went to renew my license online, and that was June 14th, and uh Nothing had happened. You know, I, I paid the 50 bucks, and every week I'm asking, where's my license? Where's my license? So my best friend Joe gives me a call on the 14th and tells me that the letter came in the mail from DMV. And I'm like, awesome, open the letter up. And so he opens it, and it says, your license has been revoked. And uh, we're like, what? And um, the letter said I had a DUI from uh, April 17th, 2007. 
but the actual charge was from my DUIs in 2000, and you'll hear about that later on down the line. So my license is revoked at 855, and there's nothing I can do. So I started panicking, and we're talking to Joe, and we're talking about getting lawyers and stuff, and, you know, I had uh, just sat there like, I can't believe this, man. All I went through to get my license, and the day before I'm 17 years sober, this is what's happening. And my license is a big part of my life. It's a big part of my career. So I don't panic, but I'm freaking out. So I hang up with him, and I call my brother. And my brother is a police officer who was in Atlanta where all my charges happened and who uh, had moved to Texas. And I tell him what had happened, and uh, he's like, chill out, don't worry. You know, it's just the devil, you know, testing you. And this is, uh, and Joe had said something like, this is God seeing how much do you really have faith in him, right? So me and my brother on the phone for the next three hours, and when, um, Back in 2007, I had to go make my amends in Georgia. He was a big part of me getting my license back. So all my documents, I thought, was here in Florida to, to prove to Florida DMV that I, I'm, I'm good. So Joe's looking in the, in the folder, and he can't find the papers, and we're just, I'm just freaking out. So I call my brother, and he had happened to um, – they just moved from Atlanta to Texas. And uh, he was in his garage last Sunday, and in the garage in a duffel bag – Behind the couch that was wrapped in plastic, he happened to be looking for something for his wife. And he had come across all my paperwork from Georgia, from my DUI. And he don't know this at the time. So we're sitting there talking for three hours. He's going online. He's a cop. He's got access to the Georgia records. And he tells me to download the Florida records. And I do all that. And uh, he goes, wait a minute. He goes, I got, I got something. He goes in the garage. He pulls out all my paperwork. And um, I'm blown away by that. Because, like, number one, that's paperwork from 13 years ago. Number two, he still has it. Number three, he moved from Texas to Atlanta, and he finds it in the garage. And uh, lo and behold, he emailed me all that stuff. I went to DMV yesterday morning for three hours. It all got worked out. Like, <laughs> even when I'm worried about it, God already had it planned. He just wouldn't know how much faith I had in him. So uh, that's my God story for tonight, but I got lots of those. So back to my story. Um, so, yeah, I, I surrendered 17 years ago, uh, 2003. And up until that point, um, you know, I had just been living life. You know, I'm from upstate New York, born and raised. I'm from a middle class family. Um, didn't want for nothing. weren't richer by any means, but I had everything I wanted. You know, um, I didn't grow up knowing my father. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But today we're best friends. So what's up, Pop, if you're watching? But um, yeah, so growing up, wanted for nothing. Uh, I grew up in the city of Rochester. So when I was about 12 or 13, I got bussed out to the suburbs. And this is where I developed this thing called the mask. This is where I, I became a chameleon. I was able to, to adapt to certain situations. And out here, you know, I uh, discovered drinking and other party goods or whatever, so to speak. So that was my life for a little bit. Graduated high school. By this time, I'm a full-blown. I don't know it yet, but I'm a full-blown in the partying and doing things like that. I had no direction. I was living at my mom's house. Um... All my other buddies went to college, went to military, whatever, but I just did that, you know. So for three years, that was my life, partying, getting up in the morning. She's going to work. I'm at home drinking her booze, you know, and I'm going out at night, taking her car. That was my life. So she had got fed up one night, and, um, you know, my dad at this time came back into my life, and, you know, he came to my grandmother's house, and for the first time we had a conversation, and he asked me, you know, did I hate him growing up? And I did because I didn't know him. You know, I thought he had abandoned me and all this stuff. I see him at my grandmother's house and I didn't know he was my father, but whatever. 
so he brought me out to his house with his new family and we had dinner and he asked me, uh, you know, could we get to know each other? And I was like, yeah. So fast forward a little bit later, he asked me to come move in with him, right? He wanted to make amends to me. And uh, of course I said yes, because I had nowhere else to go. Um, for the next two years, I was a, an emotional terrorist with this gentleman. Like I made him pay for the sins of not being there for me. And he put up with it for two and a half years, you know. He let me do what I wanted to do for the most part, you know. And uh, finally one night he got tired of it. So I'm going, I'm out one night partying with my friends. And um, I come home and he's uh, waiting up for me. He's watching CNN or something like that. And uh, he says, enough. You know, he's a, you got two choices. You're either going to the military or going to school. Now I'm thinking he's joshing about the military because he's never talked about the military. And I know I'm not going to school because that's a waste of his money. But um, I said military, thinking he was joking. But that next morning, the gunnery sergeant from the Marine Corps showed up at the house, and uh, I was shocked. You know, uh, I signed up for the Marine Corps that day. For the next six months, I just partied like it was no tomorrow. Um, when the time came, I cried like a little girl because I didn't want to go. But uh, yeah, I can admit that today. But um, off I went to Paris Island, and. Um, this is where my drinking took off. You know, if you know anything about the military, this is what we do. You know, we train and we, uh, we drink. So during this time, this is when Saddam decided to invade Iraq. So I got a boot camp and I went straight to Saudi Arabia and uh, Iraq, uh, Kuwait. So that was my first action, so to speak, in the military. Um, went over there for eight, nine months, came back, went on a med cruise, came back, went to Japan, came back. And during this time, you know, I'd gotten in trouble a little bit, but my drinking was out of hand, you know, and I should have seen the signs then, but I didn't, you know, because I just thought it was normal. That was my normal life, so to speak. So I get out of the Marine Corps and, and you know, I go back to Rochester to what I know. And uh, it looked just like the past, the same thing. I'm 23, living at home with my mom, not working. And she's just, you know, mothers have that un unwavering love for us. And, uh, that's what I did for the next couple of years. So then she got tired of it. And then I had this bright idea, you know, my best thinking. I said, it's Rochester. You know, it's not me. It's Rochester. My scenery needs to change, so to speak. And um, I called a buddy from the Marine Corps who happened to live in Atlanta, Georgia. I told him what was going on. I just said, I need a, a, a different place. I need a, I need a change of scenery. And uh, he was like, come on down. So my mom happily bought me a one-way bus ticket down to Georgia, Greyhound bus. And, uh, party all the way down there. I get down to Atlanta and um, again, for the first couple of weeks, I was good. You know, I didn't drink too much. I didn't do any other pharmaceuticals. Went and got a job at this place called Quick Trip. It's, um, it's like Wawa for you people from Philly, but it's the place in Georgia. And uh, there, my drinking took off again. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just drinking to live and live to drink, so to speak. And this is my life, you know. And again, I think it's normal. Like, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just, you know, doing me. But um, during this time in Atlanta, my drinking got out of hand. I got three DUIs in a six-month period, two by the same police officer. Uh, the first time, they, they let me go ROR. Second time, they let me go ROR. So you would think a normal person would say, hey, you might have a problem. You know, you might want to stop drinking. But my mindset was the cop is racist. I'm in redneck Georgia. You know, not, I'm not looking at reality. Like, I have a problem. And um, this was my life. Um, I got a job working at this place called the Roadhouse Grill. Again, 
Restaurants are a great place for drug addicts and alcoholics. That was my job. That was my life for the next, I don't know, 10 years. I just drank and partied, and that's all I did. So after the third DUI, you know, my friend had kicked me out. I'm basically homeless, sleeping on people's couches and stuff. And um, I got hooked up with these three brothers from the restaurant, and uh, they were addicts, heroin addicts, and I was a drug addict and alcoholic, but not heroin. And um, that's what we did. So on my third DUI, I was in there for like 10 days, and then, um, again, I had nobody to call. Nobody knew I was in jail at this time. My mom didn't know where I was. My dad, nobody knew where I was. And uh, they let me out, ROR. And I didn't know what that meant, but it was, I knew I was getting out of there. So when I got out, I got with the brothers, and we all had the bright idea, it's time to get out of Georgia. We burnt all our bridges, let's go. So we got in the van, and um, we drove south. And uh, no money. Back then, you could pay for gas, not pay for gas first, like pull in, pump, and then go pay. So that's how we got to Florida. Every stop we did was by the highway, pump gas, stole it, and dipped. And um, we got down to Florida. And uh, again, I don't know what God has planned. And I'm just thinking, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. This is just my life, you know. I'm resigned to this fact that I'm going to just decide I'm going to die. So we get down here to Florida. I don't know how we chose Fort Lauderdale, but we did. And I know how we did. I know how it is now. God had plans, but at the time I didn't know. Um, we got, uh, we lived at the Seascape Motel in Fort Lauderdale. This is uh, not there now. It's right across from Aruba's. It's a TD bank now or something like that. But we got, uh, that's where we lived at. We all got jobs at Bennigan's, which is not there now. And again, this is what we did, right? My alcoholic life is the only normal one. By this time, Again, my family has no idea where I'm at. I left Georgia, didn't tell anybody where I was going, and I'm down here, and I'm ripping and running again. And uh, I catch a charge in Hollywood, Dave and Buster's, a possession charge. Um, I get 18 months probation, but I never go to probation. You know, I figure there's a lot of you guys on probation, so one little me, I say out of mind, they won't know. Um, this is me. So I get out of that. Again, I'm just living to, 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 to get high and drunk. This goes on for a while, then I, I got to separate from these guys because they're bad. You know, I'm bad, but they're horrible. So I somehow end up in Coral Springs. Um, I hook up with these people for my, my job at Applebee's and the restaurant business out there. And again, this is what I'm doing, right? I, I, this is normal for me. Like, I weigh like 140 pounds. And this is where God comes into my life. He, um, he put this woman in my life, and at the time, I didn't know it, right? So I'm at this place, Applebee's, and uh, I get out of work every day. I go to Sharky's Bar on University, and I tie one on every day. I come in with the Altoids, the, the cologne, the Visine, thinking nobody knows that I smell like a brewery, and I'm, I'm stuttering my words and stuff. And one day I come to work, and this lady, her name is Lorna Mays, not an alcoholic, just a good Christian woman. She... uh Never talked. We never said two words, but hi and bye. That was it. It was never a conversation. But this woman said to me one day, she says, um, what are you doing after work? And I'm like, nothing. She goes, I want you to come over to my house. Again, insanity. My mind says this woman wants me. And uh, all right, I'll be over. So I go to the house. I go to Sharky's after work, get a little buzz. And I go to her house. I get to her house. She's got dinner made. Got a son. And um, she, she brings me into the house, and we sit down, and we're eating, and she says to me, you know, God spoke to me. And I'm thinking she's crazy, right? And she says, he wants me to help you. 
know, at the time, I didn't think I needed help. You know, what are you talking about? I'm functioning or whatever. But uh, I said, okay, what's that look like? She goes, I want you to move in with me. I said, okay. Because at this time, again, I'm, I'm couch hopping, and um, I would get my stuff, and I move in with her. And again, this time, she wasn't trying to help me in the sense of stop drinking. She just wanted me to slow down or whatever. And uh, I, I didn't. You know, I, I got worse. And so I'm here for a while, and I'm getting worse, and she sees it. And, uh, you know, one night I come home from work, and she asked me this very poignant question. At the time, I didn't know, but it was like, uh, it's like 2 in the morning. I'm, I'm lit up, and she's like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Keith Neal. And she's like, no. She goes, that's your name, but who are you? What are you? And I didn't know how to answer that. You know, I had no idea how to answer that question because I don't know who I was, and I didn't know who I was. I was just a shell of a, a human being, and um, we let it go with that. So fast forward a couple of days later, I'm getting worse, and she sees it. I come home one night, and I destroy all of her plants walking up the, the walkway, and she had enough. Like, I'm getting to her breaking point, and so she locked me out the door, and I try to open the door, and there's a latch on it, and she looks at me. She had her best friend over there, and she's crying, and she's like, I can't stand this watching you kill yourself. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, no. So she opens the door, and she slaps me so hard, spit comes out of my mouth, and uh, she put me in the shower with my clothes on. And she'd asked me a question, like, what's your mom's phone number? And in the blackout, I told her, right? And uh, so now, mind you, this has been seven years since my mom had seen me or know where I was. And you talk about selfish and self-centered. I'm thinking I'm hurting nobody, but I aged my mother like 20 years. And uh, so my mom gets a phone call from this woman who she doesn't know at three in the morning on a Saturday, Sunday night, Sunday morning. And the, the woman says to my mother, you don't know me. I'm a friend of your son's. If you want to see your son alive again, you'll get on the next plane and you'll come down to Florida. And uh, mom does what mom does. She gets a plane, a ticket, and she's there that morning. Um, we go to see, pick her up at the uh, airport, and my mom, when she sees me, she's, she's crying. I weigh about 120 pounds. My eyes are sunken in, and I'm just a hot mess. And uh, we had that kumbaya moment at the airport. We go back to Lorna's house, and they don't let me out of their sight for a week. And during this whole week, I'm telling them, I'm done. I promise I'm never doing it again. I can't live like this. And I meant that. Like, I, I sincerely meant that I was done. Right, I had good intentions, but um, I don't know. God had other plans. So my mom is there for a week. She leaves. Lorna says, this is it. This is your last chance. If you come high, home high or drunk again, I'm done with you. And I say, uh, I, I promise I'm done. So she says, okay, I'm going out of town. Me and my son for four days. You don't have to leave the house, but you can't drink in my house. Don't party in my house. And I said, okay, I won't. She leaves. And of course, you know what I did, what we do. Um, instead of her coming back on Monday, she came back on Sunday. And uh, when she saw the place, she was not happy. Um, cussed me up and down, left and right. Got all my stuff, threw it out in the yard, and said, I'm done with you. Right? And then the book talks about all your scorecards reading zero. I literally knew what that meant at that point in time. Like, I had nowhere to go. No one, no one to call but mom. And uh, so I called my mother, told her what's up, what happened. I messed up again. And could you send me, now listen to this insanity right here. <laughs> could you send me some money to get a hotel so I could figure things out? That's insanity. 
right? So my mom sends me money like she does. She rushes and uses me money, and I get a hotel room over in Pompano, um, this place called Days Inn off of 31st and um, Hammondville Road. And uh, for five days, I was in this hotel room wanting to kill myself. Too much of a coward, but I wanted to kill myself. And I just told you before when I started, I didn't believe in God when I got here, but I was praying to something like, please, please help me or don't wake me up tomorrow morning. For five days, that was my prayer. And I had the maid knocking on the door. And when it, can you come in and clean? I had guys knocking on my door. Are you straight? Are you straight? And nothing. And I, I wanted to die, but I was too much of a coward. On that fifth day, which was July 15th, 2003, Lorna shows back up. And I guess she had found out where I was from my mother. And um, she had a pack of Newports and some Applebee's food. And she had a look in her face and she said, are you done? And I said, yes. That was July 15th, 2003. So she had this business card. I don't know where she got it from. Now, mind you, I'd never been to recovery. I'd never been to AA. I'd never been to treatment. Nothing. And I don't know how she got this dude's card, but she got this guy's um, Joe Bear's card. And it was for a place called Solution Sober Living Community. Again, I'd never heard of halfway houses either. I, I never didn't know anything about this stuff. So we go to this place. And again, Mike can tell my story better than I can anyway, by the way. But uh, again, uh, we're driving down. And if you know anything about Pompano, there's about 100. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. About 100 halfway houses in that neighborhood, give or take. And um, we didn't go to any of those, you know. I got a judgment about those, but that's neither here nor there. She takes me to the one place in Pompano that is all about the book, all about God, all about recovery. They're almost like boot camp AA. And when I got to this place, I had no idea what I was walking into. Um, I get out the, the car and I see Joe walking around a pool, basketball court, tennis court with this German shepherd dog not on a leash and, there's guys walking around. I'm like, what, what is this place? And um, we go inside, and Joe sits me down on the couch, and he gives me the interview. And this is a place that doesn't take people in just to get people off, you know, just to make money. They don't take you in just to take you in. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to, to know if you're serious about changing your life. And he was asking me these questions, and, of course, I was answering, yes, I'll do anything, Joe. I'll do anything. Just help me. And he's like, we'll see. That pissed me off when he said that, but whatever. So then he told me this uh, information. He said, had you ever read the big book? And I'm like, no. He's like, do you know what the big book is? I'm like, no. He goes, you know what the doctor's opinion is? I'm like, no. Now, mind you, my whole life, drinking career, I've been called an alcoholic. And, and I'm the smartest guy I know when I get here. And I know what an alcoholic is. You know, I've seen the bums on Hammondville Road drinking a Mad Dog 2020. I've seen them. And that wasn't me, right? So that's what I think an alcoholic is. So Joe tells me to go read this thing called the doctor's opinion. And I read that, and it had to be broken down to me. But once I read this doctor's opinion, and for the first time in my life, I found out what was wrong with me. I found out why I drank the way I drank, and I found out why I couldn't stop drinking the way I drank. Now, at this place, you know, I'm 35 years old. I got nothing. And Joe, again, the book talks about there's no human solution, right? And, and I, I totally get that. But in the beginning, for me, I had to to surrender and give my life up to Joe and John because the way I was doing it, I wasn't going to get sober. And I didn't believe in God at that time. And so, you know, I read that doctor's opinion and, and, it, and it, it, it put forth some information that I, nobody had ever spoken to me before. 
Like I never been to AA, and I never, and again, I'm so blessed that I didn't get contaminated before I got here. I didn't get contaminated with the message of just don't drink and go to meetings. I didn't get contaminated with there, there's going to be all right. Joe didn't tell me it was going to be all right. It wasn't going to be all right. But um, so I read this information, and it told me that I had an allergy of the body, that when I put booze or other substances in my body, it sets off this physical demand for more. I never heard that information. But it made sense because I went out on a Friday night, many a night with the restaurant. I put $100 in this pocket. I put the rest in this pocket. I'm only spending this pocket, and then we're going to call it a night. But it never ended that way. I come to on a Sunday morning and all my pockets are empty, you know, and for the first time he explained it, but that wasn't my problem because if I didn't put it in my body, I couldn't get drunk. I've been stopped many, 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 many times. My three DUIs, I had 90, 90 day stints, every one. First 88 days, I'm never doing that again. I'm in there with the, the jailhouse preachers, we're reading the Bible, and I'm watching cops. And on that 89th day, my mind said, you know what? It wasn't that bad. It'll be different this time. I'll just have wine coolers or I'll just smoke a little weed or whatever. The insane thinking comes back into my mind. So there's the, there's the, there it is. That's why I'm powerless. So during this time, again, I have to be taught how to live, right? Um, I had no job. I'm living at this place. I'm very irresponsible. I'm hardwired. I'm hardheaded. You know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm a man. I got this guy telling me to cut his grass on a Saturday morning at six in the morning. Like, what, what is this? Right. And you know, I wasn't done. I didn't get drunk, but I wasn't done. Cause I still had these old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs about life and, and how I was going to do life and stuff. So again, Joe and everything I, I talk about up here, I take no credit for it. It's me. I had the best teacher. So I'm te- I'm telling you what was taught to me. So he taught me how to live, not just in the A, but being a responsible human being. So during this time, my mom was paying my rent. I was still lazy. I was still, you know, going down to the one-on-one club, trying to hit on girls and stuff. And so it got to a point where Joe says, I'm not taking another check from your mother. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's the nature of the exercise. You want your money, I get to live here. Nope, that wasn't the case. So... During this time, I'm um, going out, not looking for work, but pretending I'm looking for work. Um, I got a buddy of mine. We were at the halfway house, and I'm telling him my plans, my grand, those grand ideas. Joe asked for a four-month commitment. I tell him I'm going to stay there for four months. When I get out of here, I'm just going to smoke weed. You know, I didn't get trouble when I was smoking, only when I was drinking. Like, that's, that was my mentality, savage. Um, I'm there. So we fast forward a little bit, you know. My rent gets backed up to, I can't tell you how much because there might be somebody from Susan watching, but it was a lot of money. Um, again, here comes God in my life. So I'm there for four months. I see guys going out left and right. I see guys, and again, I don't know why I didn't pick up a drink. I didn't know, I don't know why. I mean, I do now, but everybody who came in with me is now drunk. But for some reason, I didn't pick up. But, um, so I'm at this place and, you know, I'm getting restless. I'm getting irritable. I'm getting discontented. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not feeling recovery. Like we have a house meeting every Monday night and Joe's talking about this God, like he's force feeding God down my throat. And I'm just like, oh, I can't, I can't buy into what you're telling me, man. Like I've been around my aunt. I've been around people who are Bible thumpers and you're trying to force this on me. 
there's got to be a different way to get this recovery without you talking about God every Monday night. And um, so I'm reverting back to old self, you know, and um, he sees it, you know, he sees this uh, me not all in, so to speak. And um, I'm just just in the drift, so to speak. But um, so we go on about our day and and I and I, I do this thing. I'm there for like six months and now the rubber's about to meet the road. I'm at a point where Joe's so sick of me and. He says to me, this is your last chance. On Friday, if you don't have any money or if you don't have a job, you're getting kicked out of here. Now, at this time, John W. owned Solutions Sober Living Community. And um, he never came to Solutions to collect rent with Joe. You know what I mean? But on this particular Friday, I went out that morning. You know, the book, I'm, I'm going out that morning. The plan is... Not to get a job, it's to find another place to live because I know I'm going to be homeless at 7 o'clock when rent's due. So I go out that day. I don't look for a job. You know, I don't, my best thinking was let me look for another place to live. I'm not invested in this thing at all. So I go around town, 545 happens. I go to the 101 club at the 545 meeting. I'm sitting in that meeting. I'm watching the clock slowly but surely watching this clock, like praying, please don't go to seven o'clock. I get done with that. I walk down the street. Solutions like from here to the corner. Dead man walking, so to speak. It's the longest walk of my life. I get there and John's there, which never happens. And um, I walk in the door. And as soon as I walk in the door, Joe looks at me and he, he just knows I don't have the money. He turns around. Again, this is God because... <laughs> in my head, I know what's going to happen. I know John's going to give it to me both barrels. Get your stuff and get out of my house. And that's what I made up. It was going to happen. But he didn't say that. He sat me down. The man had like 30 something years sober. And he put his hand on my knee with some very colorful words, told me, when are you going to get to your blanking head that your word is the only thing you have? Now, most people don't know when they, when they, they the switch turned on and when they got committed to this thing called recovery. But my life changed from that moment right then and there because what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. He, he tells me to go next door. They don't kick me out. The next morning, I'm up at 345. I'm down at Labor Pool right down the street. And this is my life for the next six months. I'm going to Labor Pool every day, making $42 a day. I'm giving Joe 20. I'm keeping $22, right? I get entrenched in the book now. I get a sponsor because I didn't have a sponsor for these four or four months. I'm doing this thing myself. I get entrenched with this sponsor. We're sitting down weekly reading the big book. He gets me into the big book, told you about the doctor's opinion. Now we're going and we're reading, right? First three chapters, I find out why I'm an alcoholic. Doctor's opinion explained it very well, but Bill knows me. Bill knows I'm hard-headed. Bill knows I need evidence. I need evidence, evidence, evidence. So he gives me, there's a solution more about alcoholism. And then you throw in Bill's story again. I say to my sponsor, why do I got to read Bill's story? Because it's about a stockbroker from the 20s. I'm nothing like Bill. But as I read that book, I'm just like Bill, right? I have so many ups and downs. I have so many bottoms. I'm just like him. You know, in the chapter about more about alcoholism, I love how Pat says it, it should be more about relapse because that was the mentality of a lot of people. My best thinking got me here. You know what I mean? If I knew how to live life successfully, I wouldn't be here. I got a lot of better things to do on Thursday night than be in a meeting speaking about Alcoholics Anonymous. So I learned, right? And, I, and I'm saying, man, 
Why is my life so screwed up? This is me. This is why my life is screwed up. Dr. Silkworth said I had to have an entire psychic change. How am I going to get one of those, right? Joe would say colorful things like, it's what you know that's killing you. It's what you don't know that's going to save your life. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? And he, just that, you know, everything you know, you need to forget that, right? So we talk about this algae obsession. And again, I'm a very smart man. Algae, I've been around people with algae all my life. So to convey a little story about the algae, now I haven't found it necessary to pick up another drink since I got that white chip. I don't brag about that, but this is the mentality I'm about to talk about with this thing called the algae and the obsession. About four or five years ago, I've been eating shrimp my whole life, right? Never had a problem with shrimp, ever. I um, I go to the Super Bowl party with a, my ex and her friends and stuff, and we're sitting in this room with about 20 people. We're watching Peyton Manning and the, and the Seahawks, get Peyton getting annihilated by the Seahawks. We're sitting there, we're eating shrimp, shrimp cocktail, pigs in a blanket, some other finger foods and stuff, and I'm sitting there, I'm eating the shrimp, and all of a sudden my eye starts watering. I don't know what's going on, so I go to the bathroom, I get some visine, rinse my eye out, I come back out. I eat more shrimp. All of a sudden, my body's on fire, and I don't know why. Like, I'm on fire, wanting to, like, ugh. My lip starts tingling and twitching and stuff, and I'm just like, something's wrong. Something's not right. So I get up to walk out to my car to check it out. And um, as I get up to walk out, there's a mirror on the wall, and I see my face, and it transformed. I looked like Hitch, and uh, it was bad. My lips were big, everything. So I'm out in my car, and... I call inside to my girl, and I'm like, hey, we got to get out of here. She's like, what are you talking about? We just got here or whatever. So she comes outside. She sees my face. My throat starts to close. They got to rush me to the hospital. I get to the hospital, Super Bowl Sunday, there's no beds. And uh, I'm in, I'm in, they got me in the hallway because there's no beds. And uh, I go to the bathroom. I take a picture. She's like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I wanted to have a record of this. And uh, I'm there for eight hours. They give me Benadryl or whatever. And um, allergy's gone. But I tell that story to say this. When I leave here tonight, me and John aren't going to whatever who sells shrimp Alfredo. I'm not going to have shrimp Alfredo for dinner, so to speak, right? Because I know that's going to kill me. I know that if I eat shrimp, it's going to kill me, right? I, I know the allergy. I don't assess about it. I know it'll kill me. But with alcoholics and drugs, we, we know that this stuff will kill us. But yet we do it anyway, Right? So the surrender, right? I talk about this word surrender in the first step. Until I make that surrender, nothing's possible, right? I got to surrender on a daily basis. I've been sober 17 years, but I surrender every day. I'm a broken man. And um, I, don't know, I don't know how or why I'm here. I do, but this step one in the, in the 12 and 12, in the forward, it says this. It says, AA's 12 steps are a set of principles, spiritual in nature, that if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and allow the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. I don't know about you, but I wasn't happily and usefully whole when I got here. Right? My last 74 hours, and we always tell my guys this in our meeting, we do our meditation. Remember your last 72 hours out there. Right? Remember where you were, what you were doing. Right? And I, Joe told me stuff like, you know, I can do anything I want in this program as long as I'm willing to pay the price. As long as I'm willing to pay the consequences of, of, of what that choice is, right? So every day, 
you know, I, I make that decision. You know, I start with my connection to God. Step one goes against everything I'm taught as a man. It goes against everything I'm taught growing up in life, right? I'm taught never to give up, never quit, never die, never surrender. That will kill me. That out there works, but in here, that kills people, right? I've been to too many funerals in my short time in recovery. Unmanageability, right? And again, thinking about what they're talking about in that step, if I didn't get with a sponsor, I would think unmanageability is the stuff that happens to me after I take the drink or the drug. That's not unmanageability. That's just consequences of my actions. My thinking was unmanageable. Right. My thinking and everything I did was unmanageable. So, again, Joe teaches me (laughs) that I got to give up control. So this man, I let him be my my. I'm not going to say God, but my director, so to speak, in my first year of recovery. Right. And, um, you know, we've seen guys come in. And they know they have the problem. They know they got this thing. But they refuse to give up certain things, right? Joe told me I got to make sacrifices. One of the sacrifices was no women. Whoa, Joe. (laughs) What are you talking about? That has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. That's not in the book. That's not AA. And he says something like, what would a woman want with you, right? Ask yourself that when you got here. And I'm like, okay. So I didn't have women for 13 months, right? Whatever he told me to do, I did. And he's never lied to me before, you know what I mean? And, and, and everything he's taught me. Um, I stand before you today blown away. Blown away by God's grace and by his mercy and by the life I live today. I am a product of good sponsorship. I'm a product of the big book. I, uh, I used to be very judgmental with this thing. I used to be very judgmental of people who would get up at the podium, would spend 45 minutes talking about a war story, and would say, oh, I did the steps. I'd be very judgmental on other halfway houses. And I heard Peter one day talk, and he changed my whole view on that. Because, you know, you can only talk about what you know, right? And whatever. But I think I have an obligation. I have a duty when I'm up here talking to the newcomer. Number one, to give you the truth. But number two, to give you a solution, right? I know how to mess up. I don't need somebody telling me for 45 minutes how you messed up. And then, oh, I did the steps, right? They tell me step one is the only step I got to do perfectly. But that's a hard thing to swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow that you're powerless, that you have something has you licked. But as Joe and John always taught me, if I can't help them up, help them down. If we go through this information and you don't understand it or you're still hemming and hawing about it, then you're not done. You know, you're not done. I was speaking one time in Fort Lauderdale and a guy came up to me after the meeting and he says, you know, I really like what you had to say, but I don't know if I had this problem or not. So I went in my wallet and gave him 20 bucks. Go figure it out. He caught a resentment, came back the next week, asked me to sponsor him. That's how God works. You know, I, um, again, I'm very honored and humbled to, to be up here. Mike, I love you like a brother. It's, um, again, not one of my favorite things to do, but I'm not up here trying to talk to the people that know. I'm not talking to the guys who, who know the solution. I'm talking to the person that doesn't know. I'm talking to the person who's out there hopeless, 
doesn't think there's a way out, doesn't think that, you know, thinks his tomorrow's going to like his yesterday. There is a way out. There is a way out. There, there's, there's an answer. You just got to get with somebody armed with the facts about themselves in this program and uh, surrender. And um, I don't want to sit up here and babble, but thank you for letting me share, and I'll see you guys next Thursday. Uh, let's thank the speaker again. And we have Joseph for secretary tonight, the joke master. All right. Hello, everyone. It's me again. I am now your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hello, Chris. All right. In keeping with the seven tradition, which states every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. As you know, the baskets aren't going around because um, the pandy. Um, but we have the ability. I'm sorry. Sorry, technical. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Chase. Um, all right. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties. We back. Um, Sorry, so we cannot do the baskets around, but um, however, um, we can uh, still contribute, aa.org um, or uh, AA Broward for you locals. Um, AA is suffering uh, financially. They're not doing the best. They're, uh, they're uh, digging in their prudent reserves because of uh, the lack of uh, flesh and bone meetings, as we call them. Uh, so yeah, you can um, have the ability to give back um, to the uh, program that has given us so much, um, so you can do that online. Um, tonight, uh, I'm going to have someone read the recovered statement. Here, um, many of us say recovered alcoholic. Um, it may seem weird to those uh, new people or people that aren't aware. Um, but yeah, we're going to have someone explain exactly what that means. And that someone is Chris. So thank you, Chris. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Chris. All right. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience that God has not changed over time and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. So uh, now we're going to ask a show of hands of those recovered alcoholics. we got some in the rooms today. And everyone in Zoom, keep those hands up, because now we're asking anyone that needs a sponsor in the Zoom room 
Everyone remember those hands up. Guys with hands up, reach out to them. Um, and yeah, let's get you connected with God and uh, get that going. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so anyone celebrating a year or more, um, God bless you. That's great. Um, we, we don't have chips or medallions, obviously, this time. But go out um, and celebrate by finding a newcomer, reading the book with them. Um, yes. All right. Uh, please join us Monday night's big book study meeting. It's a great time here in this meeting, or excuse me, here in this room. Um, we got Mike Chase. We got old Bill. We got Doc from the traditions. Um, it's a great time. Um, a lot of good knowledge. Oh, excuse me. And Chris will be doing the traditions. You're in for a treat for that. We all are. It's going to be very nice. Um, fellowship starts for that at 630 in the Zoom room. Come join us for fellowship. Um, yeah, we meet here every Thursday um, and looking forward to Keith's uh, second step next week. Um, thank you again for that, Keith. It was great. Um, we have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, the little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale online. Um, help support the group um, and uh, your local and the big boy in a group, the general service. Yes. Thank you. Um, all right. We meet here every Thursday, starting promptly at 7.15, 6.30. Pop and Zoom. Say how you doing. Um, fellowship, if you will. Uh, and we ask that you be courteous and ready be, to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you. See you next week. We have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite you again, everyone, to our Monday Night Big Book study. And to those who wish to thank the speaker, light it up in the chat box. Um, Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you next week.
faces and come shining through. But when you crying, you bring on the rain. So stop your sighing, baby. And be happy again Yes, and keep on smiling Keep on smiling, baby And I hope Everywhere I go, I'm gonna 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Divide through his 
song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
dignity. Got a woman that just won't say. 